Well, good day to you folks. Uh, Larry here. Hope you're well. It's Sunday the 20th of May and today Sunday Letters makes a comeback. Uh, it's been off the air. It's been off the old uh, uh, agenda, I suppose, for the last four or five weeks. Uh, took a break from it, was doing some other stuff. Uh, but today I'm back and Sunday Letters today is uh, all about uh, deliberate practice and perhaps the myth of innate talent although it does come into play i think it does you know uh well that thing that we call innate talent you know the apparent ability of somebody to pick something up and be able to master it pretty quickly um so i'm talking about that today and in particular i'm bringing up uh or bringing into the conversation uh a, a piece of work a piece of research by somebody who's uh, prolific in the area of research around expertise and creativity, a guy called Anders Eriksson, a Swedish, I believe, a psychologist who's studied this um, phenomena for quite some time. And in 1992, I believe, he released a paper. And that paper has been cited over 8,000 times, according to Google Scholar. And uh, the paper is entitled The Role of Deliberate Practice in the Acquisition of Expert Performance. Now, I should say from the outset that um, once you take something, uh, an observation, uh, you see something in the world and you begin to analyze it, to figure it out, you lose something in that. When you box it in, when you break it down into what you perceive as the components of it or the reasons why or the, the um, abilities an individual has to roll out that thing or to produce that thing. You lose something and that is fundamental in all scientific research as far as this creative is concerned. And it's valuable in that we can understand maybe some of the finer details of how something is made, but you can never really articulate it. The, the person, the artist, can never articulate it. The sports person, the expert, the master of the craft, can never truly articulate how it is they do what they do. And certainly, if the, if the individual can't, if the creator can't articulate it, not completely, they can try to, but it's never finished, you know. And if the creative can't do it, you can be guaranteed that someone on the outside looking in is not going to be able to do it. Although they may be able to perceive particular aspects of that thing you do and say, hey, look at this. And you might go, wow, that's interesting, you know. But and perspectives are, uh, perspective, perspectives <laughs> are important, but you never really get to the heart of it. The only real way you can get to the heart of it is by doing it. And when you're in it, and then maybe reflecting on it later, you just can feel it, you know. You can feel uh, that there was something wonderful went on there, you know. I don't draw a lot. Probably I don't draw as much as I maybe should. Well, who says when if I should? But you know what I mean. Um, I have a particular talent for it, and I'm, I'm, pre I'm pretty good, I think. Uh, although I'm a little bit slow, I think if I if I put myself into it a bit more, I would become quicker at it. Uh, I'm more proficient at it. Makes sense, right? Deliberate practice. Uh, but 
there's, there's, I came into the world obviously with something. There must have been something there I wouldn't have been able to draw. I don't know why. And when I draw something, I don't know how I drew it. You know, all I can say is there's a there seems to be a zooming in and a zooming out, an intense focus, and then a, a broader perspective. You know, uh, as I said, a zooming in and zooming out, and that's how it seems to occur for me. The black and the white and the greys, a focus on the different elements, on the negative space and the positive space and all this kind of stuff. The stuff going on. Something is going on. And I can never really tell you how it is that I produce it, you know. And it's the same when I write. When I write something, I'm just in it. And uh, I'm writing it. And I have to come out of it and go for a little walk around the kitchen or something. And then I get back into it. So there's these moments, these short bursts of intense focus. And then I need to come back out of it and just kind of take a breath and take a broader view and read you know what i just wrote you know what i mean in order to kind of put it together that's how it seems to work for me and i think it's how it works for a lot of creatives although that period of intense focus might be um longer for some people uh, but time does the apparent uh existence of time does seem to uh fluctuate you know and time well, i'm not going to get into time now but the psychological component, well, time is a psychological component. It's completely psychological. Uh, it varies depending on the observer. We know that through relativity um, and through the work of scientists like uh, Niels Bohr and through uh, Einstein, obviously, and people who came before him. Anyway, going off on a bit of a tangent, um, we'll never truly get to the, to the hub of it. And that's the way it should be. Because if we did, well, then all existence would cease to be. There would be no point uh, because we'd know it all and we'll never really know it all. And the nature of physical existence, the nature of you in your apparent life and me and mine is that we'll never truly understand ourselves. And all expression, all physical expression, all language is, is an attempt of the unconscious to be known consciously. And that can never be finished. And in the moment it's finished, we go bang, right back to the start. And it all goes again, you know. Um, you could live in the same room and talk about that room forever. You never get out of it. And all aspects related to the room. You never finish. You never finish the conversation. It's never over. And that's what creativity is. That's what art is. And when we throw ourselves into deliberate practice, into something, the joy is in is being in it. There's no joy or if there is joy it's very very much short-lived in the production of the thing you make it and it's done so what you know move on put up for sale and and uh good luck or maybe not maybe you just want to put it on your shelf but the joy of it is in this constant development of the thing you know and in today's sunday letters i'm writing about this and i'm writing about uh, my own experience, which is all I can ever write about. I can never write about anybody else's. Not really. It's who, who am I to know? How can I possibly know someone else's experience? And there is validity, complete validity in the individual experience. And nobody can ever say what it is for anybody else. You say what it is for you. So when I write, I write from my perspective. And if it resonates with you, then happy days, right? So I'm writing today from my own experience. I'm 30 years in the game that I'm in, the one that brings in the bacon, the one that pays the bills. I'm an electrician by trade. I started when I was 13, working with me old man, and there was never really a goal at the end of any of that. It was just I was just in it, and it was automatic. And I learned pretty quickly, and uh, 
there was never really a goal other than just the engagement in the thing. I I have to say that 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 is the truth. And all of a sudden you look up and you're seriously fucking good at it. You know what I mean? It's like, how did I get here? You know, it's like uh, <laughs> talking heads. What's the song? Uh, I don't you know what I'm talking about. Uh, that his music, um, David Bourne, his lyrics are really profound. If you don't know Talking Heads, go and listen to their stuff. It's it's off the charts, but it speaks of this thing. You know, how did I get here? And all of a sudden, you are an expert. All of a sudden, people are saying, "This guy's really good." And you notice things about the stuff that you do, and it's so proficient. And you're looking at your hands working, and you're going. How did I learn how to do this? And what is that learning anyway? What is the carrying out of that thing? When you take up the paintbrush or you, you strike the keys on your computer or you write in your notepad, or how, what is that? It's like, the, it's like a flock of starlings, how they move through the sky, you know? All the cells in your body just moving in synchronicity with each other to create the thing that you're creating. How do they know how to do that? It's incredible. But uh, anyway, uh, today uh, I'm talking about the role of deliberate practice and expertise and all that kind of stuff. I've got the paper for you. You can download that from uh, today's episode on the on the, art, the written article, actually. I'd include a link in the description of the podcast episode um, in which this segment will be the introduction. And uh, I'll also include another interesting uh, piece of reading. It's about 700 pages. And it's also by um, Anders Ericsson. It's called The Cambridge Handbook of Expertise and Expert Performance. Anders Ericsson, Neil uh, Sharness, Paul J. Feltovich and Robert R. Hoffman. Now, I don't know if uh, I'll get into trouble for sharing this because yeah, it's 80 quid if you want to buy it from the Cambridge uh, uh, University website. But um, it's a, it's available for free Um from a pdf download site i'll probably get into trouble maybe i won't but anyway i'm going to make that available if i get into trouble so what uh, i got it for free so i'm going to share it with you too and uh, uh when you subscribe to sunday letters yeah uh, you'll get this for free so um that's it for the minute uh coming up next is me narrating today's sunday letters i hope you listen in and uh, there'll be a link in the the description, like I said, where you can go and download this paper and also the the handbook of expert performance. So, uh, uh, hold fire and uh, stay right where you are. The Sunday Letters article is coming up next. Sunday Letters, the 20th of May, 2018. I'm Larry G. McGuire. Today's article is titled, The Power of Deliberate Practice. The Power of Deliberate Practice and the Myth of Innate Talent. In today's episode of Sunday Letters, I'm discussing the power of deliberate practice and introduce you to the work of Anders Ericsson. Ericsson is a psychologist at Florida State University studying the psychological nature of expertise and human performance. In his 1992 paper titled The Role of Deliberate Practice in the Acquisition of Expert Performance, he states that characteristics of expertise believed to reflect innate talent are the result of prolonged intense practice over a minimum of 10 years. Perhaps 10 years is only the start. We creatives already know the benefits of intense, deliberate practice in our work. However, there are many distractions vying for our attention, with which you and I must contend. Without cultivating the ability to shut those distractions out, our work suffers. 
distraction from the deliberate practice of a work ultimately comes from within. Often it is the result of fragmented focus of attention. It can be either conscious distraction, such as there's something else I need to be doing here, or subconscious, such as beliefs and concepts about what constitutes valuable work. You might hear the voice of your mother or your husband telling you that what you are doing is not valuable. Or you might hear the words of a maths teacher criticising you for being a dreamer. Whatever it is, ideas about worth and valuable contribution often keep the creative mind from realising its true value. An eye on the future. Another reason the quality of our work and realisation of success may suffer is that we have too much of our creative energies focused on the result. We invest too much in the applause and recognition of other people. Deadlines, the pressure to deliver, feelings of unworthiness, the anticipation of poor reviews and overall fear of adverse outcomes may take over. The achievement of accolades or the need for financial reward may become forced in our minds and thus inevitably influence the creative integrity of our work. The future result becomes more important than the process and when that happens we encounter problems. I've written before on the illusion of time and in the paperback version of the Artist's Manifesto I've dedicated an entire chapter to it. Here's an extract. Most of us in the industrialised Western world feel time shortage pressures and responsibility to comply with popular conventions. The lack of time bears down on us heavily and seems to be a socially acceptable tyranny. We discuss the lack of time with others, almost wearing it as a badge of honour. It's strange though. We all get this feeling of a lack of time, yet we can never really explain it, touch it, see it or feel it. We try to cram in as many activities as possible into our standard 16-hour working day, we try to be as productive as we can to show our peers and family we are capable of delivering that we can succeed. Within that sphere of thought we anticipate and mostly fear a future that never gets here and we lament or regret a past we can never revisit. The Perspective of the Apprentice When I was 12 or 13 I began working with my dad. He'd take me on jobs at the weekend and during the summer I'd work as a tea boy for the lads on the building site. When I wasn't making the tea and going to the shop, my dad would put me working with some of the more skilled electricians, the ones that he trusted to teach me. I learned the ins and outs of the trade before I'd even started as an apprentice. This early training was to prove a distinct advantage. In that work I never held the idea that I was going anywhere important. I was merely doing the job because I was interested in it. I never thought, this is shit, get me out of here. At least, that's th- at least not until much later on. In carrying out my duties, I never imagined success of any kind. I was in it, and although there were subsequent aspects of the work I disliked, I didn't wish I was somewhere else. Reflecting back on this time now, as I see myself in my work, I can appreciate how merely being engaged in the work every day for 30-odd years had brought about particular skills. Watching myself in that work today, I'm not sure how I learned the skills I acquired. It's interesting to watch how my hands do very technical things pretty much automatically. I honestly cannot say how they, those skills were learned. It seems the skill came about by themselves, merely by me being engaged in the work. Maybe that's how it happens. I'm grateful for that experience now, even though there was a time much later on when I hated the work. Acquisition of Expert Performance We shouldn't believe that expert performance is innate and reserved for an elite few. 
expert performance can and is commonly carried out by ordinary people the world over and all of us are capable of producing exceptional results in our chosen field. Bakers, cabinet makers, knife makers, plumbers, painters, writers and computer programmers go to that internal place where they efficiently execute, execute their practice every single day. The press and the media don't celebrate these people and that's a pity but they do exist no less. I don't mean to suggest that every one of us performs to the high level we are capable, because the truth is that most of us don't. In the everyday surface reality of our consumerist world, mediocre is most common. To get beyond it, it seems to require significant effort. Anders Ericsson suggests that although specific biological characteristics might predispose us to expert performance, experience has a more significant effect on performance than may have previously been believed. He says that we acquire expert performance through extended, deliberate practice. But to reach a level of eminence, that which exceeds common knowledge and technique, we must surpass the achievements of those already considered eminent. Ericsson says that maximum performance in a given field does not necessarily come as a consequence of experience, but as a result of deliberate effort to improve. I think this is important to consider. We've all had the feeling that we've plateaued. And with that feeling, there can be frustration. We've no choice in the case but to keep on keeping on, with the firm intent to get beyond the plateau, to improve and develop our skills. Work, play and deliberate practice. In his paper, Ericsson argues that work, play and deliberate practice are distinctly different undertakings and outlines these differences as follows. He says that work is motivated by external rewards such as pay. Play is undertaken for the joyful aspect and has no explicit goal. Finally, he states that deliberate practice is specifically designed to improve the current level of performance. Ericsson says that deliberate practice consists of highly structured specific tasks, requires effort and is not inherently enjoyable. I don't agree with this. I think it is inaccurate to separate activities this way. In many cases, and in my experience, these different activities overlap and often become the same thing. His idea suggests that deliberate practice is a toil, a necessary but undesirable activity that many of us would ordinarily not undertake. But that's not how I see it. When I'm engaged in a thing entirely, I am in it, and all of these ideas do not come into play for me. I do the thing because I enjoy it, even though it can be challenging. Or maybe it's because it is challenging that I enjoy it. For me, the fact that I have a payment coming at the end of it or in fact it may have been secured at the start, is irrelevant. Whether I'm getting paid or not only becomes apparent when I'm tuned out of the activity, and the truth is more likely that the work first and foremost engages me. On reflection, work, play and deliberate practice are aspects of the same thing. In conclusion, Erickson's paper is chunky. There's a lot of data and reference to material and research produced by other respected psychologists that's worth digesting. I've only picked out one aspect that I happen to disagree with, but on the whole, it's a paper that I think you should read, if you're interested in the topic, that is. You can download the paper and his subsequent contribution, titled The Cambridge Handbook of Expertise and Expert Performance. I find it a very engaging subject. And it's something I might pursue later in my studies. But after 30 years of operating in the field of everyday expertise that I do, 
the ones that bring the one that brings in the bacon that is i realize that to develop a high degree of proficiency requires that i only stay focused that i dive into the nuts and bolts of the practice and make them more important than anything else that i turn up every day and make that thing solely for the sake of it sure there may be a high level goal that sits in the background defining our success whatever that may be for us but above, above all we must stay in the moment of the thing hours spent in deliberate practice when an intent to be continually better but disconnected from the need to have results a particular way is essential to developing expertise i have come to understand from my own experience that which is all i can ever search make my assertions on that to be focused outside of that inevitably produces results less than we are capable in other words get into the thing for the love and engagement of it pursue perfection but understand that you'll never catch it forget the results make the thing for the sake of it without the need for applause or recognition just like you read in the artist's manifesto do this and i believe everything else will look after itself Hey, thanks for taking the time out to listen to today's uh, Sunday letters. Um, the I'd say about eighty percent, ninety percent through. Uh, I took a wobble and I had to stop and come back in and finish it off. So, apologies for that. But I wasn't going back recording it all over again. So you'll just have to take it the way it is. Um, you can read the article uh, that um, I wrote for today's Sunday letters. Uh, over on larrygmaguire.com and also you can get yourself a copy of um, uh, the role of deliberate practice in the acquisition of expert performance that paper by Anders Ericsson and also the Cambridge Handbook of Expertise and Expert Performance uh, which Ericsson was, um, I think he was the lead on that so uh, you can get both of those documents uh, which I, I uh, downloaded for you and uh, when you subscribe, if you're not already subscribed, when you subscribe to Sunday Letters, you get them for free. And if you're already subscribed, well, then you can you can get them via the same link. Uh, today's Sunday Letters uh, is episode number 142 or 3, I think, something like that, on the Daily Larb. And I want to thank you for listening. You can tune in to the show on iTunes. Subscribe and tune in on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Overcast, anywhere uh, good podcasts can be accessed, you can uh, get the show. And uh, thanks for listening in. I shall see you likely uh, tomorrow, or maybe the next day. And uh, thanks again for listening in. I'll chat to you later. Take care for now. Bye-bye.